Hi, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we strive to live life as friends with faith through knowing God, loving others, and making a difference. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast to help you plug in at Quest both in person and online. Now, let's dive into this week's teaching. Good morning. Thank you, Ross. Good morning, Quest. How are you doing? Good. I, I want to start off today by uh, just saying a word of thanks to a couple of folks. The text that we're going to be reading today is one of my favorites. And as I was just doing my preparation, I was reading some stuff uh, from two, two men that uh, just really opened up the text to me. And so I want to say a very special thank you to Tim Keller and N.T. Wright. I know that they listen to our podcast every week. And, uh, and so just want to make sure that they hear that. I'm just kidding. They don't listen to us at all. They are too busy um, with really important stuff to do. But um, no, they really did. Uh, they, they had a, a strong influence on me this week. And so um, I'm excited to share uh, this morning. Well, about two weeks ago, um, I woke up early in the morning to some crazy sounds in my backyard. There was some, you know, just like loud noises and banging. And and uh, and I thought someone was back there who wasn't supposed to be. And so I'm thinking, what am I going to do? And I, under uh, just a quick investigation, I found out that my neighbor next door to me was rebuilding his deck. And, um, you know, the last two weeks have just been full of a ton of noise. I mean, it's like, you know, the uh, my, my neighbor, he hired this contractor that I'm sure is really good, but um, his team, like they've just been hammering and using power tools and, and, um, you know, there's a ton of shouting and tons of bad music, like not like bad because they cuss all the time, but bad because it's just plain bad. And, uh, and it's just been annoying, you know, and, 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 and I imagine that once they finish this deck, uh, that there's probably going to be some really giant loud party that they're going to throw to, you know, inaugurate their deck into their backyard. And I'm pretty sure that I won't be invited. Um, I don't know why, but, um, well, I'm, I'm actually also in the process of rebuilding my deck. And it's interesting because, uh, when I go outside and I start swinging a hammer a few times, um, you know, and, and I make noise and I use power tools and I listen to good music, um, all of those sounds, you know, they, they really, it doesn't bother me at all. You know, I, like I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, troubled by all those things, but, but when all that racket is happening next door in my neighbor's backyard and it's interfering with with my Netflix binge watching, like all of a sudden I get really upset. I'm pretty grumpy. You know, it's easy for us to be excited about something that's happening that's good for us, right? Something that we're doing. And, and it doesn't matter how loud we get when we're doing that. Um, but when someone else's good thing imposes on us and, and it makes us adjust our world, I mean, it could, it could just be pretty annoying. Um, I don't know. Some of you may be like me and you like to set off fireworks on the 4th of July. Anybody? Am I talking? Yeah. Okay. And, um, right. It's fun. You know, the kids love it. It's a blast. Haha. Um, and, uh, you know, like you set them off. It's noisy, but like once everything's done and, uh, and this is how I feel. Once everything's done, we start to get settled into bed. The kids are in bed. I'm in bed. And then, you know, I just hear those pops outside of my house. You guys know what I'm talking about. Other people are setting off fireworks and with every pop, you know, I start start to get a little bit more angry and my blood's boiling and I'm afraid someone's shooting fireworks at my house and they're going to burn my house down and I'm really angry. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, when we set the fireworks off, 
Um, you know, we, we don't really worry so much about how our party and our fun is going to affect someone else, but we are acutely aware of someone else, someone else's party interfering with our lifestyle, right? This is where a lot of tension comes for us. We have an expectation of how things are going to work for us. We plan our lives out really well, and, and most of us work really hard to accomplish those plans. Uh, but when something comes along that doesn't fit into our world and our structure, uh, then we often find ourselves frustrated. You know, we have this lack of control over what's happening to us, and, and it can just create this overwhelming desire inside of us to regain control. Now, this is precisely what's happening with one of the characters in our story today. Um, he experiences this, you know, uh, this party that's going on around him that he's not able to participate in or, or really doesn't think he can. And, and, um, and so he experiences frustration. But before I introduce to, uh, him to you, I want to provide just a foundation uh, for our primary story. Okay, so... We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke today, chapter 15. And um, as as the story starts, we see Jesus, and he's drawing these crowds around him. And the crowds are full of sinners. Uh, they're full of tax collectors. There's also Pharisees there and scribes. And the Pharisees and scribes, they're upset with Jesus because he's willing to meet with these sinners and tax collectors. And, and, and he's even willing to have dinner parties with them. And, and so the Pharisees, you know, they're, they're really not shy about their frustration with Jesus' actions. And, and so Jesus responds to them and, uh, with these different parables, these stories. And all three of them, there's three of them, uh, all of them are designed to do the same thing. They're ultimately a description of what's happening in heaven when one sinner chooses to repent. Now, I'm going to read two of these stories real quickly for us, just to give us our foundation, okay? So we're in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 through 10. The words are on the screen. You can follow along with me. Verse 3. So Jesus told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous person, persons who need no repentance. Jesus continues, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's lost it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Okay. So we have these two stories, and, and uh, they, they really parallel each other in, in how he tells them. Uh, they include the same conflict. Something's lost, a sheep and a coin, right? And then the main character goes out and uh, resolves the conflict in the same way. They're searching for what is lost. And then once the conflict is resolved, the story ends the same way, with, with a celebration, with a party. And then Jesus goes one step further in both of these stories by explaining what the parables mean. That in heaven, when one sinner repents, there's a celebration. Now, this is a really cool moment in Scripture. 
See, we're, we're getting a glimpse. Jesus is giving us a glimpse of what happens in heaven when someone turns to God. You've got to remember, Jesus is surrounded by these tax collectors and these sinners. He's eating dinner at parties with these sinners and tax collectors. See, the idea is that these are, there are these people who are possibly choosing to turn to Jesus, to turn to God. And, and what that means is that when, when Jesus is sitting there at that dinner party with these people, he's actually rejoicing with them, celebrating in the exact same way that the angels in heaven are rejoicing with God. Right? This, this is a, a picture of heaven on earth. This is what Jesus is ultimately describing in these parables. He's saying that whatever happens in heaven should also happen here on earth. When one sinner repents, angels are rejoicing, and so we too need to rejoice here on earth. This is the kingdom of God lived out right in front of the people that he's around. I mean, this is a powerful moment in Scripture. And then there's these Pharisees and these scribes, and they're grumbling, they're upset, they're mad. And, 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 it, and it's, it's really just about the fact that, that they're not getting to celebrate the way that they wanted to celebrate. They're not able to celebrate about the things that they, they think should be happening. For the religious leaders, for the Pharisees, celebrating with God happens in the temple. It, it, it's a, a very specific process with these strict purity standards. Only certain people are able to get really close to God. But now what Jesus is doing is he's declaring that God is throwing a raucous party every time a sinner repents and turns to God. And, and, and these Pharisees, they're mad. They're mad. And so what Jesus does is he enters into this third parable. And it parallels the other two, but at the very end, it takes this new turn. So the stakes, um, they kind of raise throughout these parables. You'll notice that, that like, um, the object in each of these gets, becomes like gr- of greater importance. The first parable, we have a sheep, you know, one sheep and one hundred. And then in the second parable, we've got a one coin in ten, which by the way, like that one coin really could represent someone's in, entire, like, um, uh, retirement funds. So this, this is a lot of money. One sheep, then, you know, retirement funds. And then finally, in this third story, Jesus talks about a man losing his son. It's like utmost importance here. Now, let me read the first half uh, for you here in this third parable. And, and as I read, I want you just to make notice of the similarities to the other two stories that we just read. Verses 11 through 24 read this way. And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far-off country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise, and I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But 
while he was still a, a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. So this story, the third one, it has more details in it than the first two, um, but it really is the same. You know, we have something lost. Now there's this son that is lost, and and the father, um, he goes out to his son when he discovers that the son's coming home, and, and then once his son is found, he throws a party to celebrate. Now there's there's two things that are that are really critical here in this part of the story, and, and one. When we see uh, the picture of the father running out to receive his son, this is, this is really important. And, and it's something that we miss in our culture and our context. Because um, back then, for a man of this social stature, of this wealth, of, um, of, of who he is, in this age, quite frankly, he's an older man, it would have been completely disgraceful for him to pick up his robe and run out to his son. Because he's, you know, men that age would be like, I don't have to run. I've proved myself. I don't have to do all that. But here he is. He says, I don't care what the world thinks. I don't care what they see. I don't care how much disgrace this is going to bring upon me. I'm going to pick up my run, my, my robe and run out to my son because I found him. And then, uh, you know, like he's he, this, this father, he's so excited that he doesn't even let his son finish his prepared speech. He just rushes out to him, embraces him, he kisses him, and then he throws this giant party. Uh, it's like this, this movement of this father going out after what is lost. Remember the first two parables. We see uh, this woman who went in search for her coin. And we saw the shepherd going in search for the sheep. And now it's this father running out in search of his son. What Jesus is doing in these parables is he's painting a picture for us of how our God in heaven has gone out on a search and rescue mission for what he's lost. Our God, think about this, the, the incarnate God, Jesus Christ, both fully man and fully God, is here on earth calling out to his lost creation, the, the, the lost sinners. And when they turn to him, he celebrates both with them and with the angels in heaven. And this is, this is really the main point of these parables, that, that Jesus has lost his love and he's searching for them. He's calling out to them, calling them to his side. And when they come back, he declares them alive once again. And then he throws a party. See, now, kind of leads us into the second critical part of the story. And, and it's really found in what the father says about his son. He says, when the boy comes back, the father declares that he was once dead, but now he's alive. And, and Jesus, by telling this story and bringing it up, he's making a declaration about resurrection. You know, this boy has been resurrected from the dead. He has new life. And, and when the Pharisees, when they would hear Jesus uh, um, say this, they, they would have become really upset. And here's why. Because 
Like, if you understand the, the history of what's going on, uh, in 7 BCE, when the Babylonians overtook the throne of, of the king of Judah, and they brought the Israelites into exile, ever since that time, whenever the, the resurrection word came out, it was always a word picture to, to paint this return, this true return of Israel from exile. So resurrection was tied to this exodus in Egypt. It was tied to this exit or exile in Babylon. And it's also tied to this quasi-exile that the, that the, um, the Jewish people uh, lived in under the rule of Rome. The Jewish people, they have an expectation of the resurrection of their position in the world. They want to be restored to the nation that they once were. And here's Jesus. He's creating this new paradigm for what resurrection actually means. What Jesus is saying is it's happening right here and now. It's happening when one sinner repents and turns to God. Resurrection is happening and kingdom of heaven exists right here on earth. This is a totally new era for life. And Jesus' new format, it has these really severe implications for what the Pharisees understand. See, what he's saying is that anyone who turns to God gets to experience the riches of the kingdom of heaven. Anyone. It's not just the religiously correct. It's not just the pure or those who know the law of Moses better than anyone else. Anyone can have access to God if they choose to repent. Anyone can have access to the uh, riches of the kingdom of heaven if they repent. And when they do... When they turn from their sinful ways, there's this party that's thrown, this celebration. And the Pharisees, though, they're mad because they want a party, too, but they want a different party. They want a party thrown for a different reason. And Jesus is saying, no, no, that's not how it happens. And Jesus calls out these Pharisees for their grumbling here in the second half of the parable. But the way he says it is so wonderful. It's, it's so beautiful. This is really, though, where the parables uh, differ. What Jesus does in the final moments of this story, it's truly amazing. So this final character that we meet, this elder brother, okay, uh, he, he's, he's the one who has the most to lose by what Jesus is telling in this story. He's very upset, and, and he really represents the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to. They, they feel as though they have the most to lose by the kingdom of heaven celebrating those sinners who turn to God. And all of a sudden, you know, they're realizing that their future plans of a great party when, when um, Israel is restored to power, they're kind of being dashed away because when one sinner chooses to turn to God, they celebrate in this other party. They feel like they're the upset neighbors who aren't going to be invited to the big backyard bash on the awesome deck. I better get invited to that party. No, maybe not. Anyway, that's not important. Let's, let's read this final portion of Jesus' story. We're going to read, this is uh, verses 25 through 32. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And, and the servant said to him, your, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, 
these many years, I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But then this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes and you killed a fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is now found. So here's really what the older brother has to lose here. When the lost son asked for his inheritance, when he went to his father and said, give me the money that you're going to give me once you die, um, he, he ultimately probably got about a third of the father's estate. Okay, And so that means that a third was left to the older brother. But then he goes out and he squanders all of it. You know, he, 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 he like, he takes it and he spends it on prostitutes and giant parties and all that kind of stuff. And he's got nothing left. Now, when, 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 when the son said to the father, I, I want all of my inheritance, what they would have to do is actually sell off, uh, some of the land that they own. Now, land was significant, uh, back in this culture because land created social stature and position. But for them to sell it off, it meant that their family was not as significant in their society anymore. They had less. And so ultimately the older brother, he has less social stature once this young boy took that inheritance and they, they liquidated it. But then, then this, this, this lost boy, he goes out, spends it on all those prostitutes, on all those drinking and all, all that stuff, having a blast. And then he comes back and the father reinstates him into the family and also the inheritance. So he's got nothing to show for what he was given the first time, but now he's got even more inheritance. So this older brother who once had one-third of that estate, now he's got even less because this lost brother, when he comes back in, he's given a portion of that. The older brother's getting less. He's losing his fair share of the inheritance. It, it was rightfully his, but because the father chose to reinstate the lost son, the elder brother gets less. See, now, this story is really making an important point about where the heart of the elder brother actually is. When we listen to the elder brother and how he addresses his father, we can see a picture of where his heart is. Remember, he used words like, I have served you and this son of yours did all of this stuff. I mean, who talks like that? Is it a, is it a son talking to his father? No. This is, this is a, this is a man who, who believes that he's hired by this other person. He's, he's talking to a boss. Ultimately, what the elder brother is doing is he's so angry with the father that he's removing himself from any family ties in the way that he's talking to his dad. He's, he wants to, to not be associated with them. After all, they have less social stature. And, 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 and let's not forget, this is, this is a father who picked up his robe and he ran out to his son. His son who had brought shame onto the family. And he accepts this son and brings shame onto the family even more. And this older brother is saying, I don't, I don't want anything to do with this shameful family. I don't want anything to do with this family that has less social stature. I'd rather just be hired by them. He doesn't want to be a part of the family anymore so much um, because they're allowed, they're, they're, the family is willing to allow shame to come upon it. And ultimately what he's saying is, Father, what you have to give me in your wealth isn't enough. It isn't enough. 
I don't even want to be in relationship with you. But here's the thing, and I love this picture. What Jesus knows as he's telling this story is that in God's economy, to only have, you know, like 20% of the inheritance, 20% of everything is what? It's everything. It's, it's endless. It doesn't end. So it doesn't matter if you only get, you know, uh, a fifth of it or a third of it or all of it because it's always, always everything. You know, it's, it's riches that will never end. And Jesus is saying, really, our inheritance is endless. Our inheritance is eternal. And, and, and also, also, and this is so uh, significant for us to understand and remember, Jesus knows that um, for God, and he's ultimately pictured in the Father in the story, that God must, God must bring shame upon himself in order for the lost to be found. The most shameful thing that God can do is to become like one of his creation, right? The most shameful thing that he can do is ultimately go on a search and rescue mission that will end then in the most shameful form of torture and death. And God, he takes on the sins of everyone on earth ultimately so that they can be brought back into relationship with the family and with the Father. Shame is necessary in this divine reconciliation. But here's the great thing. Jesus isn't done showing his love and compassion through this story. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but when we read the story, we don't really know the end. There is no end for us. It doesn't tell, we don't, we don't know if the older brother goes into the party. We don't know if he, if he reconciles with the father or with his younger brother. We have no idea. The story just ends. The father says it's fitting for us to celebrate and it's over, right? But what we do know is how the father treated that older brother. We know his response to the older brother. See, here's, here's, here's something that is so great. You see, Jesus responds, or I'm sorry, the father responds exactly the same way that he responded to his first lost son. When the second brother comes out and starts arguing and being upset, this father goes out to the older brother. He goes out to him and he entreats him and he offers him the same celebration and same party. See, the, the, the first lost son, and really when we're talking about this story, the parable of the lost son, um, we're really talking about the parable of two lost sons because the older brother is just as lost as the younger brother. And the younger brother, he really represents the sinners that Jesus was meeting with uh, there in, the, in real life. And, and, and the second older brother is really just like the Pharisees who were judging Jesus for how he was bringing shame on the religious order that they were experiencing. And, 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 and here's the father, he's responding to the sons in exactly the same way. Verse 28b says this, his father came out to the older brother, and he entreats him. The father went out to the lost son. Last week, you may remember Ross talking about uh, the the woman who was caught in adultery and how the Pharisee and, Pharisees and scribes wanted to stone her and the way that Jesus, um, you know, worked with them. You know, that story says that Jesus kneels down and he writes something in the dirt. Now, this is a compassionate way to deal with these Pharisees and scribes. Why? Because Jesus is giving them an out. He's giving them a way to change their actions. He's writing down in the dirt. And we don't know what he wrote. We have no idea. But what we do know 
is that the Pharisees were probably, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were probably the only people who could read what he was writing because no one else knew how to read. And Jesus is giving them this second chance, a chance to, to pull back, to not have their sins exposed to everyone else around them. And here again in Luke 15, we see Jesus looking at the Pharisees in the eyes, telling this story and offering the same kind of loving reconciliation. See, what we know about the Pharisees, what, they, what we know about what they ultimately do to him at the end of Jesus' life, really makes this offer more compassionate, this, this thing that Jesus is doing. And, and Tim Keller sums up this powerful moment in the parable this way. He says, Yet in this story, the elder brother gets not a harsh condemnation, but a loving plea to turn from his anger and self-righteousness. Jesus is pleading in love with his deadliest enemies. Think about that. He is not self-righteous or he is not a Pharisee about Pharisees. He is not self-righteous about self-righteousness and nor should we be. He not only loves the wild living, the free-spirited people, but also the hardened religious people. Every soul on the planet, sinner, religious hard heart, every soul can receive the love of God if they would just choose to turn from their sinful ways and follow Jesus. What Jesus was doing by pursuing the lost and celebrating when they turned to him was ultimately bringing heaven here to earth by doing exactly what God was doing in heaven, caused the people around Jesus to ask him why he was doing it. Jesus, why are you doing that? Why are you meeting with the the tax collectors and the sinners? Why are you throwing parties with them? Why are you doing that? And I I just starts to kind of stir in me, and I, and I start to ask the question in my own life, so, so what am I doing? If I say I'm a follower of Jesus, and maybe you can ask yourself this, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, then what are you doing to follow in his footsteps? What are you doing to, to love the lost so much so that people around you say, why are you doing that? Why are you living in a radical way like that? And then our own answer is really just to tell a story about how the, the lost shall be found and there's a celebration when they are found. And, and, and you know, I, for me, I understand the heart of the elder brother. I get it. Like, it's, it's easier for me to grumble when, when I see Jesus' love lived out in front of other people because my plans kind of get messed with. And, and so for me... A lot of times because I won't initiate on my own, it is so good for me to have something to do with my brothers and sisters in Christ in order to bring heaven to earth, to do something in where, where we're, we're doing a search party um, for the lost by participating in the resurrection story of God. It, it's important for me because I, I don't often do it on my own. And quite frankly, that's why here at Quest, this, that's the reason why we do different things to show love for our community because we know that sometimes it's hard for us to just initiate those things on our own. And so that's why we invite you into things like the, the um, Project 29-7, the, the Hawthorne tutoring initiative that we're doing. It's a great way for us to reach out, for us to love those who are hurting, who are lost, who, are, who just need to be accepted. 
And we do it, you know, not because, oh, it looks good when we do it. No, we do it because the reality is that some of those students just might look at us and say, why would you give up your time and your schedule to come and read to me? Why would you help me make my life better? And then we can say, because, because this is what Jesus did first for us. Because this is what we're supposed to do so that we can bring heaven to earth. You know, why would, why would we go to Ridgewood Park every summer on Thursdays and go give out food to people that we really don't know with warm? Why would we do it? Because someone might ask us, why are you doing this? This doesn't make sense. Why, why would we spend so much time, energy, and money to, to put on a 5K here in this community only to give all the proceeds to warm? Why, why would we do that? What's the point of it? Because someone might ask us, why? And we get to share the truth about the love of Jesus, how he came to earth on a search and rescue mission to bless us and to love us, and we want to do exactly what he did. Why then would we pay money to drive to Chicago or Grand Rapids, Michigan, or Indianapolis with a bunch of high school students so that we can serve people that we don't know? Because someone might ask us, why are you doing that? It's an opportunity for us to bring kingdom here to earth. Why would we give up five hours of our week to serve in the children's ministry? To, to put on an Easter egg, um, celebration and, you know, thing for our community. Why would we, why would we serve in the, the student ministry or on the worship team or in the cafe or someplace else? Because someone might ask us, why are you doing that? What are we visibly doing to make people ask us, why are you doing that? And, and, and probably of greater significance, We do it because Jesus first did it, because he understood that this is how we bring heaven to earth. How are we bringing heaven to earth? Now, I don't mention these things because I want a giant pat on the back. I'm not, that's not the point, because that's really just like being like the Pharisees, you know, puffing out our chest and saying, ha, 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 look what I did. No, no, no. We're doing this because we recognize that Christ first did it for us, and we need to follow in his footsteps. And, and ultimately, the values that we have at, at Quest um, drive our actions. We believe that because of what Christ did for us, we're going to live in the same way. Because he came here to earth in pursuit of his creation, willing to shame himself and stoop to our level, sacrificing his life for us just because he knows that if we choose to turn to him, if we choose to turn to him, then we can be reinstated into the family of God. And so we want to obey Jesus because he offered that first to us. We want to obey him and follow in his steps. And, and, and I, I kind of, just to be clear here, like we don't necessarily believe that the only reason that Jesus came was to just restore people uh, into the kingdom of heaven. It's, it's, it's not just about our individual reconciliation, but it's also the full renewal of the world. I mean, when Christ defeats death in his resurrection here on earth, he's ushering in the kingdom of God for us, yes. And, and uh, when, 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 when he's healing the people, when, when, when he is offering that same kind of healing, then he's ushering in the kingdom of God right there in their life. It's renewal. So when we fight against the broken parts of the community, when, when, when we um, fight against poverty and disease and injustice, 
When we, when we fight against suffering and violence, what we're doing is we're participating in the resurrection of Jesus here on earth with the people that we're, we're showing Jesus to. We're bringing them a taste right here and right now of what Jesus is going to do when he comes back to earth finally. We're giving them a taste of eternal life, kingdom of heaven, right now. And when we do it as a celebration in the way that Jesus did, then people will look to us and say, why are you doing that? So what are we doing visibly to make people ask, what are you doing? In fact, this whole leap of faith thing that we've done, we really believe that this is an opportunity for people to to hear from God and, and see how they can be used with their gifts and their talents and their abilities to reach out and bless the community. We want to invite you to join with us to pray for leaders, but also to listen to God and how he might spur something inside of you so that you can seek the peace and the prosperity of the community. So many things are happening because we're saying, God, use us. Help us to bring the kingdom of heaven here to earth. Now, there's something interesting about this parable. This final parable that, uh, that Jesus gives to us. See, the version that he told the Pharisees and the scribes, it's really an imperfect version. And the life that Jesus was living is the true perfect one because uh, the elder brother in the story, he wasn't living like a true elder brother should. See, Jesus is really the true elder brother. He's the one that says, I'm going to count the cost. I'm going to accept the shame into my life. And I'm going to go in search of my lost younger brother. What Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, don't be like this elder brother, but instead, just count the cost and go after the ones who need to find salvation. A true elder brother will offer grace to his lost younger brother, even though it's going to cost him. And trust me, there is a cost involved, but it's worth it. Because when we do that, we get to see kingdom of heaven lived here on earth. So all these pictures that we have, these parables, they're really just showing how God in the form of Jesus comes to earth to meet with sinners and to lead them to repentance and to lovingly reconcile with the hard-hearted religious leaders. The parable of the lost things, it's about every single one of us. It's, it's, it's showing us how Jesus came to restore all of us to him, to allow the kingdom of heaven to reign here in our lives and in our hearts. So for those of you who, who the king of all days reigns in your heart, how will you help bring the kingdom of heaven here by how you live and act? How will you bring the kingdom of heaven here by how you live and act? Let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for the marvelous story that you're writing. We thank you for all the different ways that you reach to us, that you pursue us, that you seek us out. Those of us who, who just need to understand love and grace and mercy. And we thank you when one of those sinners turns to you and chooses to follow you that, that uh, they are participating in the kingdom of God and we want to celebrate with them. And God, we thank you that you search for the hard-hearted as well. That you come to us that you run to us even though we don't deserve it. And we pray that you would soften our hearts and we could be like the elder brother that we're supposed to be, the one who counts the cost 
isn't afraid of shame and steps into that search and rescue mission that you've already started, let us join with you, Father. Let us join with you, Jesus. Let us join with you, Holy Spirit, in your mission to save the lost, the hurting, the broken. Let us bring heaven to earth in how we live and act. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you are loving Quest's podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information about Quest, who we are and what we do, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org.